welcome to the Future Frontline podcast. My name is Nikki. I'm one of the co-founders of Future Frontline, as well as a medical student at King's College London. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking to Viha, our clinical research team lead at Future Frontline. So Viha, would you, like, would you be able to introduce yourself to everyone listening, please? Yes, definitely. So hi, everyone. My name is Viha. I'm the clinical research team lead for Future Frontline. Uh, so happy to be a part of it. So I'm currently working at a pharmaceutical uh, company from Denmark called Novo Nordisk, and I'm also doing clinical research at Boston Medical Center um, that runs remotely. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, um, that's just how things are at the moment, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. for the most part. <laughs> oh, hopefully it won't be too long until you can get back into the labs and do less remote working, hopefully not too much longer left. Yeah, I hope so too. <laughs> um, so how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Um, it's amazing to that. Um, I think the power of the digital age is that you're able to connect with people anywhere. It's amazing. Um, just before we started this recording, you mentioned you're um, in India. So it just shows sort of the power of social media and um, what an amazing, obviously there are so many negative aspects of social media, but also a lot, a lot of positives, such as being able to connect with so many interesting people anywhere in the world. That's so true. Um, I actually came across Future Frontline on Instagram, and then I reached out to the team, and that's how I joined them. I mean, um, our team now. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, it was it was really cool how that happened. And I was um, honestly so grateful to be able to meet people from like different parts of the world doing like doing totally different things within the healthcare field. It's been a very uh, informative and it's it's been a good learning experience for sure. Oh, I'm so glad that you found it um, as beneficial as I have. And, you know, that's really the aim of Future Frontline, just to even if you can teach um, one person one thing, then I think it's worth it in the end. Yes, definitely. Um, so I, I suppose it's so a good thing, a good, a good place to start, I suppose. Um, you mentioned that you do clinical research. So for anyone listening who doesn't really know what that is, um, could you maybe just briefly explain what clinical research is, what it entails, that sort of thing? Yes. So clinical research is um, uh, basically research on humans, on human subjects, um, on patients in the clinic and uh, things like that. So like from the pharma side, and I mean, even the non-pharma side, so uh, it comprises of a lot of clinical trials. There's phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four trials. And I'm sure some of you may have heard about these trials uh, because of the vaccines, the COVID vaccines uh, that are coming up or have already been released in some countries. Um, So yeah, it's basically research um, kind of the second part of research. The first part is uh, pre-clinical research, or I like to call it basic science research, um, where they, where we look at thing, how things work on rats or zebrafish or um, different animals, basically, who have uh, a, a, a large similarity to human genome. And then once, once we get good results uh, in basic science research, we move on to clinical research and I think that's where um, that's the real test of the drug or the device or the in- intervention that we're studying. Um, and that that that's something that really tells us if this is something going to work out um, for humans or not. 
Mm, that's really interesting. So I like the way you described it, um, sort of differentiating between preclinical as being basic, <laughs> basic scientific research, whereas um, in your work, I suppose you get to, you're actually interacting with people. And like you said, you're really testing whether something will work. And that's obviously so important because everything we do in healthcare um, is based on evidence and, you know, evidence-based practice, evidence-based me- medicine. Um, and all of that evidence comes from the sort of research um, that's being done in clinics. Is that right? Yes, yes. It's being done in clinics, um, at hospitals, um, at ambulatory centres, uh, even in inpatient wards. Uh, there's a lot of different types of research that happens. Um, I'm, I'm sure some of the people listening to the to this might even be involved in those kinds of research. Um, yeah, and it's I, it's very essential, I think, to medicine and healthcare, and even like uh, to people who are studying medicine, because um, I think that's kind of a major part of a very important part of how you study medicine. And um, yeah, there's a lot of research even going on on. Uh, different medical medical curriculums and what's effective and not effective yeah definitely and um, I'm only in my second year but even from my first year I know in our lectures um, the sort of lecturers would present research um, to support and base everything because when you think about it at the end of the day all our knowledge um, comes from research. Um, that's the only way we learn and discover things. Um, so and like you said, I think it's really important for people that are thinking of applying or currently studying healthcare degrees and obviously people practicing in, in the healthcare sector. It's really important to have a good understanding of what clinical research is um, and how it sort of fits into their work. Because um, obviously I think if, if you know research just suddenly stopped, um, we'd reach sort of a stagnant point where no more progress could really be made because <laughs> research, research is what gives us that guideline um, into knowing um, how's, how's best to treat certain things and what interventions yeah. work and everything like that. I, I totally agree with you. I think it's definitely pushed the boundaries of medicine, of different specialties further. And it's, um, yeah, I think it's informed us like a lot more in the last century than uh, in the than before. But yeah, it's, it's, it's been advancing really fast. For example, even the COVID vaccine, that was, that was a really fast uh, vaccine development process. Because uh, usually they take about ten to fifteen years, so I'm I was impressed, and I was actually really excited to be uh, a part of a time a part of a time where a vaccine could uh, could be made at such like at such a fast rate. Mm, definitely, it definitely this the vaccines definitely showed you know how quickly sort of how far we've come because like you said, um, it could have taken so much longer in the past, but. Um, now that we have these procedures in place um, and, you know, obviously there's the immense need for it, we were able to sort of go through that rigorous process at a much greater rate, which is obviously amazing um, and will hopefully bring an end to all the sort of um, the sort of lack of normality we've had for so long now. So um, where did your interest in clinical research begin? So uh, if I remember correctly, I think it's uh, my my interest in research uh, sparked from uh, the extended essay. Uh, it's a component of the IB curriculum that I did, and my project was actually based on. Uh, it w- we were testing if UV light hinders plant growth, and by how much uh, by how much it hinders plant growth. 
Um, and in all honesty, I, um, I did not do well on that project. But uh, going further, I, uh, but it really like motivated me to pursue uh, biochemistry in college, uh, which, was, which is also a very heavily research-based uh, program. We learn directly from uh, the scientific literature and then uh, and, and just pursuing that program, being exposed to all these different techniques and uh, different ways of studying things. It, it really expands your mind and your view and it really um, and it, it really makes you feel like you can study anything and get down to the detail of anything like to the smallest molecule or you know the, to the smallest fundamental aspect of anything. And I think that I really like that aspect um, like knowing so much about uh, about like even the tiniest thing. And how it happens, for ex for for example, like um, the the respiration cycle. So like uh, getting down to the most fundamental fundamental aspect of that that as well. It, so like it was really interesting to see like knowing how things work on a molecular level, and then relating it to like phenotypes that we see in animals or patients. And I I found that very interesting. Mm, so sort of how applicable it is to everything and how so how much you can go into detail but then you can also translate that on a bigger scale um, into the real world I suppose yes yes that's correct thank you for helping me there <laughs> no not at all um so you mentioned now that you work in clinical research so um for anyone that's listening thinking oh I really like the sound of that um how, how exactly did you get involved to sort of, you know, enter that sector and get a job and work mm -hmm. in the clinical research industry? So, uh, so there are two aspects to clinical research. So one aspect is uh, the pharma industry. So you work uh, on pharmaceutical clinical trials. Uh, this is from my experience. And another aspect is that you work on the hospital side as a um, clinical research coordinator or an assist or a clinical research assistant. So, um, so I really enjoyed the hospital side. That's how I entered this industry. Uh, it's mainly about uh, direct involvement with patients, taking care of them. It's like how surgeons uh, consent and uh, consent people and take care of them throughout the procedure. So um, you, you get to consent your patients, make uh, answer all their questions make sure they're okay with uh, what they're doing, make sure they're informed about what they're getting into, um, and then conduct certain uh, you know, procedures as per the study protocol. And then, um, but also it's not just about collecting data. Like um, it's, it, I, in my opinion, I think it depends on how much you wanna get involved. I, I really like the patient aspect. I really, I loved interacting with them. It, um, I, I thought that it was uh, really touching and uh, fulfilling, mm -hmm. but I, I don't think I stopped there. I went on to be involved in statistic and, st statistical analysis, which is another, another very interesting uh, part of research where you get to, um, you know, analyze uh, different data trends and uh, you get to do a lot of data analysis and then you get to interpret that data and uh, write write manuscripts or posters or abstracts and present it to people 
and inform them how they how they why your research is important how it could make an impact on a patient's journey and how you could take it further from there so um, in my opinion it's a very creative process like from from the time you're consenting a patient enrolling a patient to the time uh, you know and to, uh, to even statistical analysis like sometimes you have to find creative ways to express your data and then uh, creatively interpret it and tell them how you can take it further what next so I find it very creative and um, it, it has a lot of flexibility for you to innovate and uh, add your ideas. And I think that uh, the people that I worked with, so I'm still working with them uh, from Boston Medical Center. They, uh, my colleagues were really nice. My doctors, the mentors that I worked with were great. Um, and they really encouraged uh, me and everyone on the team to voice our opinions and uh, contribute to, the, to like uh, our projects and improve them uh, in any way possible. So I think, um, yeah. So I so that's how I uh, got involved in research and um, and that was uh, that was my first clinical research job, which actually uh, I'm still doing <laughs> because I loved it so much. Uh, and then when I moved to India, I got involved in the pharma industry, which is slightly different. Uh, you don't get to see a lot of patients, but you get in, uh, but you do get to meet a lot of doctors, visit a lot of sites, um, help them understand about the product that we're testing and um, how it can be effective for their patients. Mm, that's really interesting. I think some of the things that really stuck out to me on what you just said is that, um, so obviously the whole point of future frontline is to educate people on sort of the importance of um, interprofessional work and interprofessional collaboration um, and you see that as well as that maybe applying in a hospital setting for example you also um, you just highlighted how important it is in clinical research as well so you mentioned that you um, got to work with doctors working with patients themselves so it's definitely um, in the exact same way that a hospital will be made up of people from with different um, knowledge and areas of expertise working together um, clinical yes, research definitely. relies on the that exact same principle yes that's that's correct i i think um research is um i I feel like it's not as talked about or um, like it, when you go to a hospital setting or when you think about it, you, you might not automatically think uh, that, oh, a research assistant or a research coordinator is also part of the patient's care team. Uh, but it's it's um, but they are and uh, they do play an important role, especially for patients uh, who, whose only therapy or form of treatment is an investigation an investigational product so um, yeah i think they uh, they play an important role uh, in some situations more than others but yeah it's def it's it's a great uh, industry and it's enjoyable for sure definitely um, and then something else that um, i found really interesting is that um, you mentioned how important it is to um, educate people on the outcomes of your research because obviously it's really it's all it's great um, investing loads of money into um, working mm -hmm. in laboratories and testing things to see what works but mm -hmm. if that information doesn't get shared with other people then you could you could think it's maybe even pointless to an extent because um, no outcome can be achieved if you don't sort of share the message and educate others. 
Yes, that's correct. Uh, raising awareness about it, talking about your research to um, other people can be really beneficial and it's uh, to other patients. Uh, you never know who, who hears about it or how the word spreads, but that could be really beneficial and especially breaking down your research into, or like the results of your research into like simpler words for your patients. And, um, and so that's definitely really important. And I'd also like to add that like for, um, for, for certain populations who are not aware about uh, a thing called research and the purpose of it, because uh, sometimes patients feel like uh, they're being used as guinea pigs, but um, it's really important as research assistants or like someone on the research team to, uh, to help them understand that um, how this is beneficial to them, the risks that they uh, might encounter and uh, how research as a whole could be important and how they could be contributing to science uh, for the sake of the human population and human advancement in in general mm, yeah that's really true and that sort of um illustrates just how important um when i know when i was applying to medicine it's really important to think about ways where you can show leadership teamwork good listening skills empathy all those things um need to be involved in research as well because like you said at the end of the day um it's really important that patients feel comfortable um and feel like their concerns are being listened to and also that thing everything is being explained to them in a way that they can understand um and so that they can make an informed choice yes definitely i agree patient safety and well-being is always always top priority it's um, always something that com comes first um, in research and i'm sure in medicine as well definitely um so what sort of work what before you know this whole era of remote working what would sort of a typical day in clinical research um look like for you um so uh, so there's a um it's a mix i'd say so um there's a lot of patient consents now patient consents are very spontaneous uh it they happen as patients come and go visit the clinic um, and then there would be uh, a couple surgeries that we would attend to collect samples or to just be there with our patients because they would find it more comfortable uh, for us to be there to support them. Um, and then there would be a lot of computer work like data collection, data analysis, and then uh, drafting up new project proposals. So a little bit of everything, like a little bit of patient interaction, a little bit of um, computer work and um, a lot of study meetings for sure. Uh, collaboration is key in research. Definitely. That's interesting to hear that um, it's really varied because I think it's very easy to maybe picture um, like when you meant referred to that you know basic science science research I think as soon as people hear the word research they automatically just think of people you know scientists with their goggles and white lab coats sitting in a lab and working in petri dishes but obviously it's a much much broader field than that yes yes uh, I think that's a big misconception uh, that some people might have uh, but like that is how wet lab research is but uh, clinical research is very different and it's a lot more interactive a lot more uh, collaborative and uh, both both are equally important uh, yeah but this this is what i like <laughs> definitely um so in terms of um finding those patients that would benefit from research is that something um 
you do specifically or would that be sort of the role of a doctor or any other sort of um, healthcare professional working in the research team? So it would, uh, so we would definitely screen patients. So I just want to clarify one point. Uh, so uh, there are many different kinds of uh, clinical research and sometimes patients may not directly benefit from the investigational product. Sometimes patients uh, do benefit from it, and sometimes for patients, it's their only form of treatment. So it really depends uh, on the level of risk uh, that is involved. And, um, I, and uh, talking about screening and enrolling and consenting patients, um, it's, it's a collaborative process. I, I think, it, uh, in my opinion, it depends on how much the doctor trusts you. Uh, when I was working back in the U.S., uh, I would do all the patient consents and the doctor would inform the patient that someone's going to come and talk to you about the, uh, this uh, research study. And uh, and then we w I would just go ahead with the consent, try to on answer all their questions. If I'm not able to, I would uh, uh, call the doctor in just for a few, uh, few minutes when they're free so uh, they could attend to their questions. Um, but in India, it works slightly differently. It, uh, I think the doctors here prefer to consent their patients themselves. Um, I think it really depends on from doctor to doctor and it's, uh, on, on their, it's, it's up to them uh, to, to um, and yeah, it's, it really depends. It's up to them and um, yeah, yeah <laughs> because no. they're the principal investigator. So they, they should be making that decision. Uh, decision. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's really just dependent on who who's um in your team and sort of who you're working yeah. under. Yeah, I think it really depends on the kind of relationship you have with your teammates and um and how how your situation is. Mm, definitely. And and the level of risk involved for the patient. Yeah, I, I can imagine that's that's definitely one of the key factors um for sure. Yes. Um. So. Um, you just mentioned then sort of this sort of variability and that sort of thing. When you were sort of starting out in research, um, I can imagine, you know, already just hearing about it. Um, and I have, you know, only a fraction of the knowledge about research in comparison to you. It's such a big field. And um, I suppose for me, at least from my perspective, it can sometimes be quite overwhelming, you know, looking at all um, these journals and thinking, like trying to understand mm -hmm. papers and every and everything like that, um, let alone actually working in research itself. So when you got started, um, did you sort of have a mentor that helped you or how um, how do people that think, you know, this sounds amazing, but it seems very like a very big unknown to me. I'm not sure how exactly I'd be able to understand and get into the work and everything like that how um sort of how did you begin did you sort of have a mentor that guided you so you could learn how to write manuscripts and analyze data or sort of yeah so what was the sort of learning experience um when you were starting uh, yes definitely so when I did my uh first clinical research job um I so the doctor that I was working with uh the doctor that I'm still working with is my mentor and I've worked with her for about three years now and I've uh, and she's uh, mentored me with uh, from like start to bottom I'm, I'm also going to give credit to my whole research team because they've been very helpful in um, you know teaching me how to consent patients how to enroll patients how to perform certain procedures um, as per protocol and things like that. So, uh, but uh, the doctor that I work with directly, she definitely did guide me with uh, 
you know, writing manuscripts, making posters, um, you know, hosting study meetings, and um, even trying to figure out like what's a good project proposal, if we should go for this project proposal or not, and try to figure out the feasibility of a project. So um, I, so the, uh, the doctor, her name is Dr. Manju Subramanian. So she was, uh, she is one of my mentors and uh, very close to my heart. I am so grateful to her. And also another, one of my other mentors is my, uh, my, my manager back at back in Boston, her name is Marissa. She's also been involved uh, with research for a couple years now, and she's very experienced. Um, and uh, she's been very helpful in teaching me, uh, you know, ophthalmology procedures or imaging techniques and um, everything, basically. We have something called uh, ICA GCP, which is a good clinical practice certification, like research guidelines that are basically followed all over the world. And um, I think once you learn those, you really um, understand the gist of research and how every step you take or every word you say or, um, uh, or uh, even the way you convey information to someone else you you would you would just need to make sure you're doing it in in the best interest of your patient who's uh, taking part of uh, in the research um, yeah mm, no that makes sense um it's so nice to hear you know what impact your mentors um have had on you that's so lovely and you know hopefully if they're <laughs> listening to this they know um i'm sure they already do know how much you value um all the support they've given you <laughs> um so in terms of getting mentors in the first place, is it a case of, you know, just approaching someone and asking, would you be able to mentor me? Or was it sort of something that was sort of prearranged for you when you were starting the role? Um, so this was, so I think it was a combination of both. It was, uh, uh, so when you decide to get a mentor or when you uh, feel like, okay, I want this person to be my mentor, there, there is definitely certain uh, a certain level of initiative that you need to take on your part, that uh, you need to interact with them, talk to them, show them that um, you know that uh, you're you're an interesting person that they'd want to mentor. And um, but there are uh, so in my clinic there were a lot of different doctors, um, and I got close to about two of them that I uh, that who are my mentors now. And uh, and I think that it um, yeah it really depends on the initiative you take and uh, how you talk to them and the kind of um, uh, I I don't know if this sounds a little bit cliche but like but uh, but you prove to them how hard you're working and that it's uh, because they're also investing their time their mental effort and um, uh, yeah they're also investing their time and for you so and in you so i in my opinion i think you should be able to show them that you know what it's it's worth it and that you're really interested you're really motivated you're really determined um but for someone who is actively uh, for someone who's looking for mentors and doesn't have a situation where it's already arranged for you i would say just go out and talk to them with with a lot of confidence um try to look up the kind of stuff that they've already done, show interest in their work, like genuine interest. And uh, yeah, just have a conversation with them. You never know where might that lead you. 
Mm, that's such good advice. I think you really hit the nail on the head there that not only, obviously it's great um, having things sort of prearranged for you or, you know, being in contact with people that can mentor you. But I think like you said, a really big part of it is taking the initiative um, on your yeah. own part. And you gave some really good um, practical advice on how people can exactly show that, you know, show to people, you know, um, it's worth you investing your time to mentor me. Um, so that's really useful advice. Thank you so much for sharing that yeah. with us. You're welcome. Um, so in terms of if someone's listening now and they think, you know, you've done such a good job of saying how amazing re- clinical research is, um, and if they want to do it, is the best way for them to study sort of a science degree um, at university? Or is there sort of a stereotypical pathway that people follow to get involved in clinical research? Um, so I studied biochemistry, which is, uh, which, and the, the, the things that I learned in biochemistry was, um, the literature that I mainly read in biochemistry was basically science research. It was, uh, it was preclinical research, but to get involved, uh, but when I got involved in clinical research, I knew that um, a lot of my colleagues were not from the same science degree as I was. Uh, they were from a very different science degree, and, um, and honestly, it was a little bit unconventional for me to get into clinical research, but um, I, I think... Uh, studying biochemistry and then getting involved with clinical research really, really brought out a dif- different perspective that no one else on uh, on my team could offer. And um, and I I think um, like if you if you want to uh, get into STEM research, uh, it doesn't matter what you study, like as long as it's a science degree. Because I think that's going to help you, and even uh, even computer science, like if you are doing computer science or data science or uh, something like that, you can still get into science research or clinical research because uh, there are so many research technicians that are needed like for so many different kinds of projects. It's, um, I think it's really project dependent. Mm, definitely. So um, obviously you work in a team of, um, you work in a team with doctors and so many different healthcare professionals and research workers. So in that exact same sense, um, there's no one set way to get into clinical research. It really just yes. depends depends on you and um, what you're interested in and how you want to engage with it. And it's, it's really interesting, like you said, you know, by having people who've studied lots of different things, you offer, um, everyone offers a unique perspective, um, which really helps sort of strengthen um, your analysis and strengthen, I yes. suppose, your s- approach to tackling problems and everything like that. Yes, I think the important part would be that if you're willing to learn, because uh, like medicine, even research is like is like lifelong learning. You need to. Uh, I, I feel like you would. Uh, you need to have that urge to constantly learn and evolve, and apply whatever you have learned to your your research and how you can, um, you know, make what you're doing better from everything else that you have learned. Mm, definitely. Definitely. That's really, that's really useful. Um, such, honestly, such an amazing insight. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 
obviously, um, you know, we've discussed how important research is and how amazing is it. It allows you clinical research can offer you a way to interact with patients um, besides, you know, what people maybe automatically think of when they think of, you know, you've got to be a doctor or a nurse or a dentist. Clinical research is another way you can interact with patients, but also do um, yes. many more diverse things. Um, so how can people applying for a healthcare degree or a science degree um, start to build an understanding of clinical research? Like what sort, of, um, what sort of practical advice would you maybe give to, you know, a 17 year old that's looking to apply to university um, and they want to be able to demonstrate um, in their application that they've sort of started to build an understanding of clinical research? Um, so for someone who uh, doesn't know anything, I would say just Google clinical research and uh, try to get like a basic understanding of what it comprises of. And uh, for someone who has a little bit more knowledge or um, I would honestly, I would encourage people like even high school students to go through um, research papers like um, I, I understand that they're not easy to um, assimilate and um, you might not pick things off easily, but uh, once you read maybe like a few papers um, or like say one paper per week um, or two papers per week, you'll start to get the gist of it. You'll start to um, understand the different kinds, the different methods be, uh, that, uh, that, you know, like similar methods that people use for uh, uh, different kinds of things. And um, you'll start to recognize, oh, so there is uh, an intervention and then there's an intervention study as opposed to an observational study. And these are two different things which can be used for two different purposes. You'll start to understand um, how the results that they got, like if, if, um, if I just tell you if something uh, if something is has a significant association with something else, uh, you'll ask me, so what, right? Mm -hmm. So you, <laughs> so if you read the discussion uh, and the results section, you'll start to understand like the so what, like why does it matter, or like how is this making a difference, or uh, contributing to the literature, or like why was this paper published in the first place? Mm, yes, yeah, so sort of putting putting everything into context, I suppose, is what the discussion part of a paper is all about. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's um, it's like for someone like who has an early interest, because uh, um, a, a lot of kids, uh, I think now are more interested in research um, than when I was in high school. So for uh, for those kids, I would really suggest just going through the going through the papers and like give yourself five minutes of the paper and see what you can retain. Hmm. And I'm, I'm, I promise you that it will get better. You will start to retain more and more um, after every paper you read. Yes, it's definitely, definitely lifelong learning in all aspects, like you already mentioned. Yes. Um, so in terms of um, reading a paper then so that's that's really good advice you know just if you don't know anything just sort of you know google is such an incredible tool and just trying to learn <laughs> what clinical research is and then once you've got that basis you can start looking into literature so going online and finding papers on anything you're interested in and reading them and starting and by doing that more and more over time the more familiar and comfortable you'll become with it um and you'll sort yeah. of start to develop those skills um, in terms of reading papers in the first place, 
do you have sort of a strategy? Do you do you read the whole paper sort of in order like a book or do you look just at the abstract and then the conclusion and then decide if you want to read the rest or so what's your approach to so there's there's a lot of different reasons um, why we read papers like one could be say um, I'm putting together an annotated bibliography for a research proposal so um, I would if if there's something uh, I would definitely read the abstract I um, I would like always read the abstract because you get a gist of what they're saying and depends on uh, what part I find interesting like say I want to look at their methods and see if we can uh, simulate uh, we can you know simulate something like that so i would look at their method section or i would uh, i would want to try and understand how they got these results um, and what statistical analysis they did or um, or what literature did they find to support their results which is usually in the discussion section so it i think it really depends on uh, why i'm reading that paper so um, definitely always read the abstract and then uh, jump to the section that you want to. But if you feel like um, you don't understand anything from this paper, always, always, always read the introduction section. So it will give you a lot of background, like a lot of context on um, why they're doing the study or even what the molecule is that they're studying, what it does and why it's important. And towards the end, uh, you reach the hypothesis of the paper and they'll sum up the results or uh, what uh there's some of the results that they got so yeah no that's really useful thank you so much and just to sort of explain for anyone listening that maybe doesn't know because before university I don't think I really knew what what an abstract was an abstract is basically would, would I be right in thinking it's just sort of a, a summary of the paper where they maybe give they explain briefly what they did they they explain some of their significant findings and sort of um, their conclusions sort of in one place in the paper sort of right at the beginning is that right yes that's correct so it's basically a summary of the paper with um, the hypothesis or the reason why they conducted the research their methods uh, results briefly and then like uh, they might uh, put a little line on the discussion there or the conclusion yeah, it's, it's a very brief summary. Yeah, so th that's definitely, definitely a good place to start then, for sure. Yes. Um, so in terms of um, sort of the exact, the work you do, it is so, so broad um, and you get to present it as well. Um, how do you sort yes. of go about, so I know you mentioned posters, for example, and then there's obviously also publishing. How do you decide... Um, how to sort of present your results to people? How do you decide whether it's best to go for a poster or best to publish um, and all those sorts of things? Yeah, so I think that depends on the kind of research that you're doing. And it also depends on um, why you're publishing. So when for, for a poster conference, like if you go to a poster conference, you get to um, interact with a lot of other people and directly tell other researchers that, you know, this is the result. These are the results we've got, um, and this is why our research is attractive. And they get to ask you questions, and it's it's a very fun experience. Actually, um, I I would recommend like anyone interested to definitely try try that um, if they ever get an opportunity. And a manus and uh, a poster is basically an abstract. It's it's um, 
it's a summary of your research. So that's why the process is, uh, the conferences are so interactive and um, you get to really, really explain um, other researchers and answer their questions uh, that you may not even have thought about. And then uh, a manuscript is a much more detailed um, explanation or justification of your research that has um, you know, a detailed background and detailed methods, the, including statistical methods, uh, detailed results, uh, supplementary information or data, and uh, then the discussion section where you go on to justify uh, why you did this, why it's gonna be beneficial to the patient population and where is uh, where is this research like why is this a stepping stone in um, this topic of research or this area of research and then there are other kinds of research that are more uh, so th there are other kinds of publications that are more uh, dependent on the the your methods or the kind of research that you're doing so like a case study which is um, usually a unique um, Usually doctors uh, go on to write case studies or even residents or junior doctors. Uh, they would do a case study if they saw a very unique case to inform the medical community that um, something like this exists or um, this is how we treated this, um, this thing and this was a unique treatment and it worked. Um, and then there are other, uh, you could also just uh, do a review article or like, as I said, a systemic review of article uh, of the scientific literature, uh, which is basically you're analyzing like 40, 50, could be more, could be less papers together and saying that, so these so now we do have enough literature to, sh to prove a significant association between the two variables that we were studying. And uh, these are the reasons why these studies um, are beneficial and these are the limitations in these studies which we could uh, look look into further and uh, maybe do a new study without these limitations and then um, always you can also always just respond to uh, editorials or the editor's letter or the editor's article in magazines as a researcher or you could respond to someone's research and give your opinion on it um, you know as to whether you think that's important or uh, or criticize it um, and things like that, and and I just want to say that um, any anyone can respond uh, respond to a research. Anyone can write a letter. So, uh, like I mentioned earlier during uh, this podcast, that research in itself is a very creative process. So. When someone is reading a research paper, I would um, I would always always ask them to have their own opinion on it. Like, whether do you believe the results? Uh, do you think the results are good enough? Like, what else could could uh, the study group have done to you know make make the results more convincing? Or um, what did they do that is um, that what did uh, like what methods did the study use? Uh, to make the results uh, super believable and applicable to these these areas or these patients, so it's 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 very important to have your own opinion on research. It's like it's like re when you read an article and you judge it, and you're like, oh, I like this article because of these reasons, or I don't like it because of these reasons. 
or I feel about it in a certain way because of these reasons, it's, um, it's also important to feel about a research paper like that. Uh, because, um, yeah, because your opinion is valid and, uh, and, and if you read an article, a newspaper, um, an online article about a research paper, that's essentially just someone else's opinion about it. So that's why I always go back and read the original paper and, um, see what I think of it. Yeah, that's really, that's really useful advice. You know, um, it's really important just to have, have a critical, have a critical eye when you're reading things and, you know, look at the evidence and um, use the evidence that's presented to you in the paper to sort of make your own um, informed decision and sort of, I suppose, choose your stance on how you interpret those findings. Yes, that's very important. Well, um, thank you. Thank you so much, um, Viha, for taking the time to tell us about clinical research. It's, it's honestly been so insightful and you have so you have so much knowledge in this field. And, you know, I'm quite it's honestly quite inspirational, to be honest, because um, I think clinical research, like you said, it's something that maybe people don't or aren't always interested in or just don't know about in the first place. So it's so nice for you to just sort of give us an overview of what you do and really you know sort of explain to us exactly what it is how it works all the different things you can do within it and it was really nice something that really stood out for me is um how you described it as a creative field because I think that really is true yeah. even though you know it's based on science there's a really big creative element um to it as well which is just fantastic to hear about yeah thank you so much for having me today it was uh, it was really fun talking to you and I hope, um, you know, someone learned something from the podcast today. And if, uh, if anyone does have queries, I'd be more than happy to answer them. They could reach out to me on Instagram or just maybe shoot an email to the future frontline email. Amazing. And I would reach out to them. Thank you so much. Um, do you want to sort of plug your Instagram while you're here? If people want to give you a follow or ask you any questions. Yes, sure. Um, which should I pull it up? Yeah, do you just want to give us your Instagram handle? Oh, yeah. Um, my Instagram handle is at the rate of V-I-G-V-I-H-A. Um, it's mainly about flowers, but I'm more than happy to talk about research. Amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, yeah, so honestly, thank you so much for just sort of taking the time to um, talk to me today. Honestly, it honestly means, um, means the world. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I, like I said, I had a lot of fun and um, I, it was fun talking about something I'm so passionate about. Yeah, no, it's honestly, your passion really does come through and um, you, <laughs> you honestly just explained, explained everything so well. And, you know, you made it sort of um, really understandable so anyone listening can sort of gain an insight into what research is. So yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Future Frontline podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed talking to Viha. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast and tune in next time.